Yeah. All right. Today's Wednesday, October 25th. And the sad episode for me comes our third rendition. Phillies lose the World Series last year. Eagles lose the Super Bowl. And now the Phillies lead 2-0 against the Diamondbacks. Lead 3-2 coming back home. And they go down horribly. Um, We hosted a Twitter space not that long ago. And Hoboken George said the stork Craig Kimbrell was going to fly this team south for the winter. And George was right. Um, It's hard that... To, to look past the last two games, but the Craig Kimbrell experiment in Philadelphia is over. Couple, I guess, got the loss on game three, blew a huge save in game four, which kind of would have put the nail in the coffin. Um, it's really tough to have that dumb, stupid hand thing when you're worried about pitch clock violations and you can't find the strike zone and you're intentionally balking guys and you're notorious for not being able to hold runners on and it comes back to bite you in the ass. Um, But last night was brutal. First game seven in Philadelphia Phillies history, 140 years and they lose. So hopefully I don't ever have to experience another game seven in my life. Um, It was just start to finish the hero ball. Everyone's trying to hit a home run. If you told me before the game that Bohm and Stott would both have an RBI after how they've played the whole series, I would be like, oh, my God, everybody's going to hit. But you have about $600 million going 0 for 12 in the biggest game of the season. Um, And you got Corbin Carroll. I I don't understand. Before the game, Rob Thompson said uh, the first pressure point of the game is going to be Corbin Carroll's second at bat. He gets up in his second at bat and it's nobody on base. So I'm like, okay, this is fine. Carroll gets a hit. They end up getting out of the inning. Carroll comes up for a third time with a guy on second base. So I'm thinking, Hoffman's warming up. Either you go get Hoffman or you walk Carroll to get a double play in order or something. But you pitch to him. You give up another run. That's the big inning that they get. It's only two runs, but that ends up being the big inning. Um, And that was kind of the end of the game. You got Trey Turner squaring to bunt after a leadoff double, which is just insane. That was almost like a white flag to me as a fan. And then um, you get to face Andrew Salfrank four times, and you can't do anything off him. Kevin Ginkle four times, he dominates you. And Paul Seawald. So, like, if those are the guys that are going to – Paul Seawald got cut by the Mets five years ago. And 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 fat fat won two games. He was in the minor leagues three times this year, up and down. So as much as it's frustrating and angry, this team does not. They weren't hosed by the refs. They weren't. They didn't run into some juggernaut of a team and just get unlucky with a couple bad breaks. Like last year, there was that incredible catch against the Astros, and you're like, oh, that would have been like they were a little outmatched. And they needed breaks. You had advantages at every single position down the line, and you had two games at home at this place that's supposed to be so tough to play, and you lose. Um, This one hurts probably worse than – definitely worse than the Phillies last year because that was just like a magical run from nowhere. And right now – And the Astros were just such a wagon. Yeah, there's such a – and this honestly hurts – I know it's not the final, but this is worse right now than the Super Bowl was the day after – because you're not playing against Patrick Mahomes and potentially the greatest quarterback ever. And you put on like a hell of a show and you come up just like a little bit short on that holding call. It's you have to win one out of two games. You lost four out of five to the Diamondbacks who won 84 games this year. Yeah. It's this like, would be like losing the Super Bowl to uh, like, I don't even know, like the, the Mac Jones Patriots like the, from two years ago. Yeah. Like, Oh, if a team goes on a run and then like, it's it's just it's like losing it's it so to the tough. Jets with Mark Sanchez or like one of those teams that made a run. I don't even Yeah, know. like whoever the Jets beat in the divisional round probably mm-hmm. felt like this if the when they went on yep. the road who they beat the Chargers or the Chargers and, yeah, like, and this and the Patriots. Like we, it was the Chargers. Like we had this great Patriots. season and it's all right in front of us and it's uh it's it's just it's disgusting. But and, and it's tough you don't know you have to run it back. The only option is to run it back. The only free agents on this team are Craig Kimbrell, who's probably done, Aaron mm-hmm. Nola, and Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins didn't play all year. I really think he's probably gone after Harper 
in three months was a better first baseman defensively than than Hoskins was. Nola, I'd love to see back. He had up and down regular season, but he's been relatively good. He's been very good in the playoffs the past two years. And then you got to go out and you got to get a, a closer who's young and good and a little bit more. You got to develop the, clo- the I've noticed the problem with the Phillies, and it's not a problem because they've been awesome two years in a row. They they got very lucky in free agency because not lucky. They also went over went after big ticket guys. I mean, Bryce Harper is probably the best free agent in MLB history. Trey Turner is probably up there for the modern era. Like those guys usually don't get into free agency till they're in their thirties. Bryce was 26, yeah. but like they signed their whole, their whole design was these 10, 11, 13 year contracts that are like, Hey, fuck it. We'll do it now. And it's working. Like, I mean, you go to a world series, you go to an NLCS, no one can tell you, Oh, those contracts didn't work. Like if you look at the Mets contracts, you could say those didn't work yeah. like whatever, but Wheeler is so like he's awesome, but I mean, having him as a Met for all those years, like that arm is a ticking time bomb. He's had two or three Tommy John surgeries, like it's so tough. And then they have like, and the whole thing is you buy these high priced players so that your developed talent can kind of fill in the gaps. But mm-hmm. they're, I think they're going to hit a point where it's like, if their farm system isn't producing guys like bombs, probably the best guy on your team. That's like homegrown outside of yeah. Noah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Bowman and stop both stepped up regular season, big time. Yeah. And last night they both played well. Uh, but farm system wise, like Kirkering got thrown into the mix at the end of the season. And he did very well out of the bullpen. Andrew Painter is one of the best, uh, like the top of their farm system is very good, which honestly the bottom is not, but for this team, it the bottom doesn't really matter. It's it's the top. You're going to basically have everybody back. Andrew Painter was supposed to be the third or fourth guy in this rotation by the end of the year, but got shut down, uh, got surgery early in the year. So hopefully you can get him back up and running next year and into the the majors by like the all-star break, maybe work, in, work his way up. And then um, – you got some other good high end guys who can contribute out of that out of that bull, uh, the minor league farm system who like were winning awards this year and being on those all star teams. So you're gonna need somebody to step up. But the thing is, like everybody's under contract. It's not like like everybody will be back next year. The only real question mark is what happens with Reese now that he's healthy and can they re-sign Nola? And if you don't re-sign Nola, then you have to go get a starting pitcher. Yeah, um, and then and the I other think thing the question is you spend, becomes: you could go oh, ahead. Sorry. Uh, you spent $72 million this offseason on Taiwan Walker. He's on the playoff roster. He doesn't throw a single pitch. Now, I mm-hmm. don't – he was he won a lot of games this year. He was not incredibly consistent. Um, That's the story actually, of his career, though. Yeah. He was a like, the last two years. But if you look back, it's like, wow, how do you pay this guy this much to not play him? Because that's been some of the discourse, too. I don't – there was no sh- point in this whole playoffs where I'm like, man, oh, why aren't we going to Walker here? First series is two games. And you're not going with Taiwan Walker in one of the two games. The next series ends up going four games. And the way it breaks out, you have Zach Wheeler on normal rest in game four against the Braves. So there's only one real spot where he could have started. And it was game four against the Diamondbacks. And they went with Christopher Sanchez, which turned into a bullpen game. So it's tough. Yeah, Walker. Managing playoff baseball games is like, you don't want to overmanage, but. It just felt like the Phillies, at least last night, left Ranger Suarez in for about or too long. But I don't think yeah. that there was any spot especially if Wheeler had two team. innings. That's what blew my mind. Yeah, if Wheeler had, if Wheeler has two innings in his arm, you throw Ranger Suarez two to three innings, and no matter how well he's pitching, if he gets in any trouble, now you probably yeah. don't want Wheeler coming in middle of an inning. I totally get that, but you put in Hoffman, and then Wheeler starts the next two, and you're in the eighth. Yeah, like, like you could have very easily <laughs> gone gone Suarez for whenever until Corbin Carroll's third at bat, Hoffman to get out of that inning and, and the next one because he's been able to go that distance. All of a sudden it's the end of the sixth and you have and you're tied and you have Zach Wheeler coming out who pitched pretty well and then you got other guys to go to at the end. But it's always tough because because 
it's always with the pitchers. You leave them in a batter too long. It's a problem. Yeah. You take them out. If you take somebody out when they're dealing, then that's the storyline. So it's like this fine line of like the only time it really works out for you as a manager is if you, if you let them give up, you let your pitcher stay in until he gives up the double. And then you bring in a guy to get out of it. And it's like, Oh, that yeah. was perfect. It's like, you want to take him out before the blow up, the double, but, yeah. not, <laughs> but not after the home, but not after the blow up. Like it's, you don't want to wait until something bad happens, but you don't want to take them out when they're when they're dealing. So it's it's tough, but I mean the Diamondbacks fucking earned it. So yeah, yeah. The walk the back to the Walker thing. I mean, he's just such a classic regular season pitcher. And a Cookie Carrasco reminded me of this. What I mean at his peak, he was awesome, obviously. But like those guys who like sit like low to mid nineties, eat a bunch of innings, give you like nine to fifteen wins might have like a hot first half or a hot second half where it makes you feel good. But like the one thing that sucks about those guys is I love the idea of like your fifth starter becoming an un- unbelievable weapon in your bullpen come the playoffs. That's what like you have. A, yeah. Like I remember Noah Syndergaard or Steven Matz, like that Mets rotation was when Wheeler was hurt. Uh, funny enough. And Wheeler became probably the second best of those guys. But like, Syndergaard, they used him as like an eighth, ninth inning guy in shorter series when it was just going to be DeGrom and Harvey. And then Steven Matz, they used as like an opener because he could throw 99 from the left-hand side. And it's like, you're using these dudes like in the bullpen, like as specialists because they throw gas and they could become two pitch pitchers. But when you have guys who are like, oh, this guy's like a John Neese from the Mets, if you remember that guy, the lefty. It's like he's a sinker baller who pitches to contact and like doesn't his stuff doesn't play up in the pen. And I think that's like another thing where just one extra of those guys who like you can have as like your game four starter, but in a three-game series, he's your versatile bullpen piece outside of your two studs in your bullpen. Like, it's getting stuff out of your roster like that is so huge because like baseball rosters are very f- small. Like, yeah, it's so Everyone underrated how little. He- yeah. And I think the thing with the Phillies is I think your big off season decision is. Yeah. I don't know. I only know about the Mets farm system. I'm very much like a blinders on baseball fan where it comes to my team. But like the question I think here is, do you just say, fuck it. You mortgage your, future you never know with prospects also who's going to turn out good who's not do you just go package those guys go get another arm i think you're good on bats i I don't think but like go get your number two to wheeler or a number or a co number one and just give like your top three prospects for a guy like alcantara's getting surgery so it's not a great example but like that type of starter yeah i don't know what they're gonna do i feel like Nola's going to be the, be the priority, and if they can get Nola back, then it's kind of just like run it back, um, which is like frustrating because you want to see improvement, but like I don't know where else. You're going to have a full season of Bryce Harper next season, which you didn't have mm-hmm. this year. You're going to have these other guys, Bowman Stott, another year older, and even Harper, Turner, Castiano, Schwerber are another year older, but they're not necessarily to the point where it's like they're getting too old. Like none of the guys are going to be too old. So I think the window is still another like three, four years, but it's got to be soon or it's just going to be building frustration. So you got to celebrate. Like it was a great, they, they beat the Braves in the playoffs. They had a great series against like the Diamondbacks for some of it. Um, but it's so hard to win in any sport, especially baseball with the chaos of the playoffs. And if you don't enjoy the journey as a sports fan and yeah. it's only about winning rings, you're going to live a miserable, miserable life. So, I mean, I got to go to four playoff games this year. They won all of them. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm seven and eight. No, I think in, in playoff games in my life in Philly playoff games. So my streak stays perfect, but I mean, I've had a lot we of just great, need to great get you to more of them, I guess. I know. I thought people, I was like, I got to just buy a ticket and eat it and get to this game seven for the people. <laughs> But uh, it is what it is. You gotta you have to enjoy the ride because if it's just about the destination, you're literally never going to be happy. So uh, that's I mean that's but there's nothing else to say other than we can we can shift on to uh, sh- I can shift it more into the Eagles mode and 
really not in the Penn State mode. We can get into that right now. Yeah. Getting into college yeah. football. I do want to just roll into the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we had a blog go up. Hoboken George has been on the podcast. Wrote how many times yeah. are we going to let it can James Franklin lose to Ohio State and it be all right? And it's like a du- double edged sword because I saw a tweet that said last ten years Ohio State's record versus team. Like every team in the Big Ten's record versus Ohio State, the last 10 times they've played them, the best team is Purdue at three and seven. And then Michigan has two wins. Another team might have two wins, and then everybody else is at one or zero. So if you're making the bar Ohio State, yes, you're you're coming up short, but it it's tough to hold yourself to that standard because you're closer than 90% of the other teams in the Big Ten. Michigan They've won the last two, but they're still two and eight in their last 10. Mm-hmm. So that game, I think I, I texted you about this. I think I'm I'm off the 12 team playoff wave because Penn State, they're still alive theoretically because they can beat Michigan, but I think that they're gonna lose to Michigan. I think both the, those teams look like they would get crushed by Michigan. But mm-hmm. um if you lose to Ohio State Michigan and your best win is like like, I don't even know who the best win would be at that point. Iowa, like West Virginia, home. yeah, like West Virginia or Iowa at home. Like, and you finish the year at rank ten, you there you don't deserve a shot in the playoff. And it's oh yeah. So, um, but with the realignment, if you end up playing, if next year you play, if there are years you're playing Michigan, Ohio State, UCLA, USC, and then you cross over with like a Tennessee and Oklahoma, then it's like all right, maybe nine and three, you do deserve a chance if you have some of these great wins. But uh, that can be a different conversation to this game. It was close for a while. Once that holding call happened, yeah, to call back the touchdown. It was a good call. He, he it was, Marv was held. Yeah, I, that's when I knew it was over because Penn State is not built, and we've seen it, to beat Ohio State despite those swings, that 10, 14-point mm-hmm. swing. They win because of that, like the other one, they blocked the kick and turned it into a touchdown yep. on a night where they otherwise had no offense. I think they still probably lose that game, but maybe it's a little bit closer. And, and but, but I still think they probably lose just because they could not move the ball. Um, but that that changed the game. And after that, I was like, this team is not going to be able to get two defensive touchdowns. They just got one that got called back, and they haven't been able to move the ball. Their best drive of the day, like. They had, the best drive of the day, they they had two punts. They had a muffed punt, and they ended up punting again. They had a drive with two punts. So it's stuff like that where you have to really execute. And um, Marvin Harrison is very good, and Gus Johnson is very annoying. Yeah, I didn't. I had uh, some friends who aren't Ohio State fans text me and be like, "That's such a cool nickname," and uh, they they listen. So I didn't tell you over text, but uh, I disagree. Like, I don't like Marvelous. I think, like, some of the guys on the beat call him, like, Marvin the Martian. At least that's kind of funny because it's, like, that Looney Tunes guy's name, whatever. Yeah. Like, the name Marv is just cool and kind of, like, ironically, like, Marvin is yeah. not the name of a six-foot-four like alien killer, wide yeah. receiver. It's, like, Marvin's the name of, like, your buddy from math class you cheated off of in seventh grade. Like, yeah. I don't know. Ma- every catch was Maserati Marv, like every single place, like give it a rest, dude. We like we yeah. understand that that's his name. If he's not driving a Maserati in the next week with like an NIL <laughs> deal, that's a huge missed opportunity for him. But yeah, but I mean, he I is think the, the story... best player in college football. Oh, no, no doubt. And I think not having a Mecca and Travion, um, Kate Stover came up huge. I think he's someone that like needs to be seriously talked about. Is probably like one of the three best tight ends in the country. Obviously Brock Bowers is on another level, but the fact that he was recruited as a linebacker, moved to D end, moved back to linebacker, moved to tight end. And now is probably going to be a top three round pick and potentially win the Mackey award. Cause Brock Bowers is out for half the year. Like great story out of him. Like he's like a farmer. People call him farmer Gronk, not just Johnson, I guess, mm-hmm. but uh, people call him that. He seemed he's a he's a good story and he played great. But I think the bottom line with that game came down to, I mean, forget Marvin Harrison, like he's an alien. He's probably the best wide receiver I have personally seen in college football. I did not see Calvin Johnson. I was 
or I don't really remember seeing him like well enough to say, but just the ability to move at that size is incredible. And obviously his dad's like one of the best receivers ever. And somehow he physically is, he's like five inches taller than his dad was. His dad was like five eleven, six foot. But anyway, Penn state didn't have a single playmaker on their offense. And on defense, obviously chop Robinson got hurt, which hurt them. Like, Ohio State had the best defensive player who wrecked the game in JT Tuomaloau. He had, I think, two sacks. He they probably could have called one a strip sack, but they ended up calling it a batted ball. They didn't review because it was a fourth down. That was probably the biggest play of the game because Penn State was near the 50. Um, he essentially ended the game on the fourth and 30 sack, but he was in the backfield all day. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. goes, I think, 11 catches for 162 and a touchdown. And Probably should have had better if Kyle McCord wasn't throwing some, you know, questionable balls. But I think Penn State for the first time in a while has not had a tight end or wide receiver that could get the job done. And it's funny because it seemed like the rest of their team was ready. But the offensive skill, like every time Penn, like once Ohio State scored one touchdown, every time Penn State got the ball, I was never nervous. Like once I got like the the nerves of like, okay, first couple drives, you get a stop, whatever, whatever. But like once we went up, I was like, Penn State's not gonna score here. Like Aller is he can make all the throws in hypothetical situations, but he's not going to because no one's gonna be open. And their offensive line isn't gonna hold up long enough for them to do they tried three wide receiver passes. That's yeah. how you know. And as like James Franklin is a wide receivers coach by trade. You either need to get guy like, listen, he's not Brian Hartline, Brian Hart. Well, Brian Hartline had two wide receivers on the field who are both from Pennsylvania, who James Franklin never really had a shot at, which you could talk about recruiting. You talk about whatever one team, you know, has putting, putting guys in the first, I mean, Penn state has the first round receivers too. So I don't know what it is, but the fact that he couldn't identify anyone in the portal or someone underrated or a Parker Washington, a KJ Hamler, Allen, well, he didn't recruit Allen. Jahan Robinson. Dotson. Jahan Dotson. All these guys who were like never huge names in recruiting or whatever, but he somehow found them. And now the portal's open and you go get Dante Cephas. Dante Cephas was a swing and a miss. because When Tez Walker looks like a first round pick at North Carolina and they're on the same team, like, you're a wide receivers coach by trade. You have every other piece on your roster, more or less, and you can't get that done. You have the best quarterback you will ever have recruiting wise at Penn state. And you have no weapons. Like that was just w- comparing that to the Phillies game where it's like the Phillies were better at every position besides maybe center field, but whatever, it doesn't really matter. And then Ohio state, maybe they weren't better at every position, but when Ohio State had the ball, it was like, okay, despite Kyle McCord, they still have Marvin Harrison Jr. They have Cade Stover. Like, they have guys who are going to make plays. When Penn State had the ball, it was like they need either a trick play or a broken play or something, but they are not going to march down the field. They didn't convert a single third down. That is like not being able to convert a single third down either means that the play calling needs to be better, which is not – a lot of people – Say fire James Franklin. He doesn't call the plays. So when people get mad about that, Yursich, that yeah, sense. fire yeah. Mike Yursich. Ohio State did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Owen oh, oh sixteen. Maybe they. I think they got one in like garbage time. But like for all intents and purposes, when the game mattered, you were over fifteen, over sixteen. That either means that it's you have no good third down plays that you can use, or the first and second down plays that you're calling and running are so bad. You're not even giving yourself a chance on third down. You just end up so far behind the sticks that there, there's no way you move the ball unless. So the only first downs were either on, if they had a first down or a second down, which is like, if you don't, if you're not converting a second down, you're punting, which is uh, mm-hmm. makes it a very tough. You're playing, you're playing a Canadian league football. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone being in, the shoe at Ohio state. And then Aller, I think tried to do too much. did not look good really at all. Not a lot of guys were open, but when guys were open, we're missing throws in the flat, which also can come back to play calling. We're throwing three yard passes where the ball travels 35 yards in the air. 
It's mm-hmm. like a, an out route to the far side of the field and the guy's open, but you're for a three yard gain, you're asking your quarterback to make a 35 yard throw. And for last week, as much as James Franklin and Penn state media gave that one uh, reporter a tough time for asking about, do you ever just tell Oliver to throw it down there, whether someone's open or not? You're like last in the FBS in plays of 20 plus yards. Yeah, maybe passing. even a PI. He's like never a lot thrown, of guys can't play the ball. You know? He's never thrown it. Ollers hasn't thrown an interception yet. So it's like open up the playbook. Let him throw an interception. Let him learn from some mistakes. Like if you don't haven't called a single play in seven weeks that results in a 20 yard uh pass in the air, it's like, what are you doing? This is supposed to be a top 10 team in the country. You're not going to be able to beat teams methodically. Like it's not. Northwestern where you can just run short crossing routes and and run the ball all all the way down to the end zone. You're going to have to get chunk plays because Ohio State's not going to give up that 15 play 80 yard drive like multiple times, let alone once. So it's another year of frustration, but at this point they're guilty until proven innocent in, in these big games. Yeah. I mean, just the, the weird thing to me was, and this is something similar to um I'm going to relate it to something in the NFL but the Jets my whole life even when they were good had quarterbacks like Mark Sanchez you know beginning of last year you know this year they're pretty solid I have never had a quarterback as a Jets fan where third and 11 or third and eight and longer they were like we're going for a first down like we're going to run a whatever a curl route that's at the yardage we're going to run a post we're going to call a deep slant like we're going for this the same way you would see in like a, a Jalen Hurts like the the Super Bowl it's like third and 15 and Dallas Goddard on an out route beautiful throw like the Jets have never had a quarterback like that and I I always said like I don't even know if I like I don't care how good they are I want a quarterback that on third and eight we're calling a nine yard pass play or longer Cause it's always a draw or a screen or something that's like, Oh, if something breaks, we get it, but we're not going to throw a pick the way Penn state called some of those third downs. It was like third and six. They had done nothing on the ground all day and it's an inside handoff or an outside zone or a draw. And it's like, you have a QB who's the best quarterback in the country. You pulled him away from Ohio Obviously, weird circumstances with the Quinn years stuff, but Ohio State circled back to him and he said no. They wanted him. He there's an argument to be made that he probably could have been starting for Ohio State on that field that day over Kyle McCord if he goes to Ohio State because Devin Brown had the chance. And they took Devin Brown because they couldn't get Drew Aller. And I get it, it's part of like the receivers and everything, but you're calling an inside handoff on third and six on one of the best defenses in the country. And I know he's a first-year starter. I know he's a second-year quarterback. But if you look at guys who have been what this kid was hyped up to be, Drake May. By this point last year, Drake May was, oh, he's going to be a first-round pick next year. Caleb Williams, all these guys, like even Quinn Ewers, like these, these types of prospects – by the midpoint of their first year starting or their second their second year in college, they're given the opportunity to make those throws. So either the evaluation was a miss or Franklin missed on receiver. Like, I don't know what it is, but like if that was my team, I would have been pulling my hair out because I'm like, who? How do you what think? Do you, what, like, what do you have to lose? Yeah. You get to a point in the game where you don't have anything to lose. Exactly. Like if he throws a pick, he throws a pick. We're punting anyway. They have Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison is always eight steps away from like 50 yards. Yeah. And Kalen King is awesome. He's going to be a first round pick. Marvin Harrison is so much better than everyone else that it doesn't matter. His quarterback is probably never going to start an NFL game. It doesn't matter that the corner against him is probably starting in the NFL next year. He was making some of those catches make look like there weren't bad throws. It's he probably could have had 200 yards if CJ Stroud started that game, but and you're not taking chances on the road, it's, I would be furious. Yeah. It's just like the same story every year. It seems like, but the big games now are Michigan. I yeah, do you want to, do you want to talk about this whole yeah. sign stealing thing? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know, like 
I know the semantics of how many people actually do what's been going on. Um, but it is interesting. Um, nothing's going to happen from it. Nothing's going to come of it. I don't think there's not going to be any not this year sort of least, suspension. Yeah. If there's anything, it would just maybe have another reason for Harbaugh to potentially go back to the NFL after this year. Just like one last thing to worry about. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it could have legs, but like listening to different people who seem like they are actually like been on coaching, t- coaching staffs, like science stealing happens everywhere. Um, and it seems like there's a pretty, e- everyone seems like there's a pretty easy way to solve it. And it's just putting mics in the headphones. Yeah. The helmets. But saw- people don't want to do that because they sign steal and they get an advantage from not having the mic. The, the and they don't want to have to teach. Microphone. I've yeah. heard people say like, they don't want to have to talk to fucking 22 year olds before every play and all of them. I don't know. My, my thing was this originally. So I've gone back and forth a million times. Cause I realized that I am probably the least reliable source when it comes to this, because like Ohio state's lost to Michigan two years in a row, Michigan somehow went from, the worst year in program history during the COVID year where I still believe that they could have played that Ohio state game and they just realized their season was over. So they just called it because they practiced the, they practiced the Sunday, but they couldn't play the Saturday. This is a whole other issue, but that year there's no fans in the stands, whatever. All of a sudden they're a juggernaut without their recruiting, getting better kind of wild. But anyway, my initial thought was this is kind of much to do about nothing. It sounds like everyone signed steals, whatever. Maybe they just had a guy who was better at it, blah, blah. And then the more I was obviously trying to consume as much content on Twitter, podcasts, whatever as possible. And it looked like that was kind of the opinion of everyone. And I was like, all right, there's nothing here. A bunch of guys on Ohio State Twitter who have 100 followers are saying it's a big deal. But like no one who has a credible podcast or Mm -hmm. has worked in football is saying anything. So I was like, all right, this is nothing. Then more and more details start to come out about how many tickets he has to these games, about how people are filming it, about how all this stuff. And then that, I don't know if you saw the video, it was like the angle from the local news in Columbus where the whole sideline goes crazy after CJ Stroud gets the signal. Yeah, And then I start to see the same credible people saying like, oh, this is fucked up. And like people on Ohio State's team, like Garrett Wilson quote tweeted and said something. Dewan Jones said something. So these are people who like are in the NFL, who like were in those games. Obviously, Garrett Wilson, not last year, but the year before. And like they know what's going on. I don't think they would be out here saying things if it was like, dude, every team does it. So what I what I've come down to is this. Every team attempts to sign steal. It would be the same thing as if the Astros only had a guy at second base trying to like, Hey, Hey, I think I saw this because the whole idea is your information is not super trustworthy. It's not really like, you know, you haven't, you know, validated a a million times to the point where you can trust it enough that you're going with it. But when you have a guy filming games, game after game, running through the film again and again to see like, okay, which one of these signs is real, which one has laid it over. And there's enough guys on these staffs that they can do that. If they have all the film to the point where you have a laminated sheet, which you can see in the photo in some of the photos of all Ohio state signs. And I'm not saying that they're telling Michigan, Hey, if we give you this sign, it means they're running this play. Like they're probably coming up with all their counters to all those plays And then their signs are then replicated off that where it's like, if they see CJ Stroud get the sign for whatever, you know, like spider two Y banana, it's like the only play I know because fucking John Gruden and they're like, okay, cover two can beat that. They're calling, Hey, cover two hand up, whatever, whatever. That's like a clear advantage. Like, obviously you still got to line up and beat them. And like, people are saying like Kirby smart was like, I didn't notice anything. Yeah, because Georgia was just superior at every position. It didn't matter. But they're like both years, Ohio State, the second half, they get blown out. Last year, they were close to making it no longer a game. And one thing that uh, James Franklin said that I thought was pretty telling was, and he he did the classic thing where he goes, I'm not going to comment on this, but you know, when you call something that you think is a really good out of nowhere play, let's say, 
it's fourth and one and I dial up a shot play, you know, like short yards and they have the perfect play call for it. You start to wonder what's going on here after it happens again and again and again. Cause I think the whole point of the sign stealing thing is if you're going to trust yourself to steal your signs in game or whatever, in a legal way, you're opening up so much room for error that you misinterpret a sign, you get burned. But if you're so confident in it, the whole sideline's going nuts when you see a sign, then you have to start to wonder how much is this affecting the game. So I don't think anything's going to happen this year, but I can almost guarantee you wins will be vacated, Harbaugh will be gone, and it's not going to matter. Like the Garrett Wilson who played in that game, he's never, they're not going to like, oh, you can go play in the playoff now. Last year, they're not letting Ohio State play TCU first then getting Georgia in a national championship. C.J. Stroud, who was dragged in Columbus by myself at one point, too, saying like he never won a big game. A lot of opinions changed after Georgia, but the perception of him right now, if he won one of those two games, he'd have a Heisman Trophy, and who knows? Maybe not as last year, maybe a national championship. Who knows? Because maybe Marvin Harrison doesn't get hurt if it's in the title game. What if, what if, what if? If this is all true and they can prove he was recording it, which right before we got on, uh, the Washington Post dropped an article saying that there's someone got into some computer thinking they can prove it. If that's true, then I think the axe is going to come down and it might not be this year. But I think Harbaugh, let's just say Harbaugh has been trying pretty hard to get an NFL job two years in a row. And I wouldn't be shocked if one of the reasons for that was he he had to restructure his contract and his staff in, after 2020. Maybe he went with the fuck it, we'll do what he have to do. And I don't think he's this was his idea. I think there was probably you know one guy yeah. says to another guy, well, this I guy has this. like the 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 600 p. This guy, yeah. the guy who's like guy's a total is like a psychopath. Guy. Yes. Yeah. But I I just think it might have been one of those things where the guy was like, I can figure this out. It's not Jim Harbaugh calling the shots, but he starts, holy shit, this guy's got all the signs. Like, he knows the signs, and he's telling him he just knows how to do it. He tells him how he does it, and they're like, fuck, that's not right. But we're winning. Just keep doing it. We'll turn a blind eye. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think this was started with We're going to see – I mean, people are definitely going to be more cautious whenever they play – Michigan well, they told run. Michigan State. Michigan State last week had the backup quarterback run into the huddle, tell them the plays, and run back. Now, Michigan State's hot garbage, and they don't have yeah. a coach, but that's nuts. Do you, do you think we're going to see them retreat, like fall off at all? See, I think they're. This is what sucks. I think, I think they're, this they're, team, they're still very. The team's very good, very good. Team. and I think this is the thing. I don't think that much. Like, I don't think you can blame losses on this solely like i think you can tell yourself that ohio state would have beat them i you could tell yourself penn state was winning at halftime that was a weird game but you could probably yeah, convince they, yourself penn state had no business winning that, yeah, that, that had exactly like a pick six off a helmet but yeah yeah so like you could do the same thing but i think the end of the day is they're gonna keep rolling they have no one difficult on their schedule maybe the penn state game now is a little more interesting who knows like Maybe this is something that it mattered more than we think. But I think what this does is I think there's a very good chance if Ohio State survives against Wisconsin, which I think is a weird game this Saturday, but you know, we could talk about that later if we want. I think of Ohio State, I think Ohio State's gonna be number one on Tuesday in the in the college football playoff rankings. Cause I think they have the two best wins. And we've consistently seen at the beginning of the rankings, they reward resumes. Mississippi State started out number one. Last year it was Tennessee. Like they, the college football playoff loves just throwing something out there to like satisfy people that of the resume. I think Michigan's going to open two or three. If we get to the end of the year and that is one versus two in Ann Arbor with all this cheating stuff, information coming out, but there's not put, no one's getting punished yet. And Ohio State is there off two losses that now maybe whoever Ryan Day might be convinced he didn't deserve either of. That might be the biggest Ohio State Penn State game ever, bigger than 2006 when it was like the game of the century. And where's that game going to be this year? Ann Arbor. 
That's very interesting. I don't think Penn State has a chance to beat Michigan after seeing how the two teams have played this year. But if they somehow pull that off at home, then a Michigan win, like Penn State could potentially end up in. in oh, if it's a three-way tie, Penn State probably wins. It. Which is crazy. Of, because, because of Iowa. Think, yeah, which is cr- which would be crazy if that happened. Because even if Penn State beats Michigan going into that last game of the year, that's still probably a top. I mean, Michigan wouldn't have beaten anybody. That's still a top 10 matchup, likely. Um, but yeah, I think that it, that's going to be interesting because it's going to be one versus two or one versus three, and then someone's going to have to lose. And then it's going to come down to what other people do championship Saturday because both of those teams aren't going to have a chance. Um, only one of them is. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the Penn State, Ohio State, also around, like, is there anything else you've left on, on any of those three Big Ten East teams that you wanted to hit on? No, not really. I just think that as of right now, barring how much this has helped Michigan, I think they look like the best team. They've played nobody, but I think Ohio State's going to need McCord to take another step. Um, and they're going to need all their guys back. Like, I don't think they can win in Ann Arbor without a Mecca Buka or Travion Henderson. And I don't think they can win with the Kyle McCord. They have at least the Kyle McCord in the first halves they've had. He's actually been good in the second halves of the two big games they've played. Um, I don't think Penn state can beat Michigan because they're weak. They're weak up front in the middle. Like your D tackles are probably your weakest point of your defense, which is, Michigan runs the ball up the middle with the best O line. And I don't know. It just seems like Penn state, like if Ohio state kind of punches you in the mouth, that's what Michigan has built their whole program on. So I would love to see it. Although getting that Michigan, Ohio state number one versus number two with everything that's going on would be cool. I'll be rooting for Penn state. Um, And if Penn state beats Michigan, maybe it shows that Michigan's just not as good as we think. So yeah, it's it's I, definitely I still re- a big game. Yeah, we got a couple of weeks. The recipe for that game is going to be def- you're going to need a defensive or special team score. Maybe and two. Gonna, and you're going to need just like a, an out-of-body experience from the defense and hope that like J.J. McCarthy in his first like hostile environment that he's really had to play in this year um, struggles. But it'd be it would have to be like a perfect, perfect game from Penn State mistakes from Michigan and even that would it would probably be a touchdown game. It would probably be Penn State by less than a touchdown. If yeah the line's only five and a half though, which shows that people like the obviously you guys are at home. Yeah, that makes me want to bet on Michigan. Like Michigan But sometimes when you want like everyone's gonna be on Michigan. Sometimes that's good yeah that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah that's like like when a lot when everyone was taking Penn State I was like, this makes me so much better, feel so much better than like, I know Ohio State never covers, but I was like, if this is like, this is a tight enough spread that like, if everyone's on the Buckeyes, I'm going to start to think we're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be interesting, especially with all the developments, but. Yeah. And rest of the college football weekend, obviously I was in Columbus, so I miss a handful of the games, but it was like the close, but no cigar weekend. Like, we had we were this close to chaos. Like Arizona State can't pull off the upside. Houston can't. UCF can't. Uh, I mean USC Utah. Like there was no real upset. I was there. all like, over that. I was all over that one. Yeah, I, I took I, USC. I mean, I that team wrong. is that team is bad. They are not. Yeah, they're not good. They've we they've had a generational quarterback and just a spineless defense. So. If you're you and their old line sucks. Fan, like you're, you gotta feel pretty pretty horrible that this is how the Caleb Williams Lincoln riot like this is how it's gonna end for Caleb Williams is with nothing. Yeah, no and he's with nothing except the Heisman Trophy. Who knows? By the end of this all, like if this goes poorly, Drake may a, a team who didn't finish out who actually did get upset, but they were never really considered. I think in it as much as people would want to, but Drake may might pass Caleb Williams up by the end of this. If he I keeps don't think that's going to, I just, with all the hype with Caleb Williams, I think yeah, that, that's that true. would be, it'd almost be, you'd be like, it'd be career suicide. 
As yeah, a it's like the it's like Wembenyama. Like if if someone like Brandon Miller more last year, you were you weren't allowed to. Yeah, yeah. It's like you go to the roulette table and you get a free spin. They say black or red, and you say, "Give me green." Green. Yeah. And it's like, oh my god! And like if it works out, you're a genius. But chances are, Caleb Williams is still probably going to be good. Um, it would be very Bears though to end up with uh, to take Drake May. Um, with that number one pick, which it looks like they're going to get because the Panthers look horrible. But, um, yeah, college football, not a lot of, of shakeups at the top. Penn State obviously catches that first loss, but um, P- Michael Penix is lucky that a lot of people were asleep during that performance, which was like I, I one think of low the key... biggest. That was one of the most obvious to me, like let down spots of all time. Yeah. Like, I knew they were. there was no chance they were going to cover 27 after last but I thought they were going to win by like 20. I didn't know it was going to be that bad. Yeah. And Michael Penix going into the week was minus 150 to win the Heisman, which at week six in the year is like anyone who bet on that should be from a sports book. Like if you're betting minus Heisman odds at this point in the season in October, you should, um, you should not be allowed to sports bet. You're the reason why everything in Vegas is made of gold. Um, Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, now J.J. McCarthy is the favorite. Like, there's value in the Heisman somewhere, but... I think Marvin Harrison is in the driver's seat right now. He's 16-1 to right now. And he was 33-1 to last week because he's got got two of the... So if you look at Devontae Smith as the checklist of how to win it as a receiver in the modern era, you need to have a quarterback, kind of like a stopgap, type guy like a Mac Jones, Kyle McCord fits this even better where it's like not a single person in the country is like, that's the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, No, he's not getting, he's not the reason they're winning. Exactly. And Emeka Buka was his other, was the, you know, the big number two wide receiver, similar to Jalen Waddle and yep. Goes the, down. Yep. He goes down. Also like Emeka had a big game against Notre Dame. Penn state was the game. Like, People could forgive Notre Dame. Marv got hurt. He only had like three catches. He's had over 100 yards, I think over 150 in like three or four straight games and a touchdown in all of them. Like he biggest game of the season so far, Fox big noon against a first round corner. And he was the entire offense. I think if Ohio State beats Michigan, Marvin Harrison wins the Heisman. I should probably and that, that game at the end of the year too. Mm-hmm. If Ohio, if we go into that game and it's one versus two, and and Ohio State wins on the road and he has a big game, I I don't know. I'm pulling up the odds right now to see who else is going to be to who else is even in the um like who's up there ahead of him. JJ McCarthy's number one. They haven't played anybody. Michael Penix is number two. I think he still has a, a very good chance to win it. Um, especially I just think they're gonna lose. They I think the they're gonna lose twice. Yeah. Jaden Daniels, he's been great, but like that would surprise me. They're they already lost now. twice. Dylan Gabriel, which is just kind of like that one one would be weird to me. Mm-hmm. Uh they would have to win out. Jordan Travis, who's been very good. Like he could he's the guy that could sneaky Florida State, like a couple people go down, Florida State runs the table. Um, and then Bo Nix, uh, which obviously they have a path to win out and, and get to the playoff. And then it's Marvin Harrison at 16 to one. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you're, if you took Marvin Harrison preseason, you're looking at the way things have gone so far. And you're saying to yourself, if Ohio state finishes undefeated, they're going to be number one. And if, unless Michael Penix finishes undefeated and they're number two, Marvin's probably winning the Heisman. Yeah, he'd he'd be the best player on the best team. Anyone after that is kind of those are the only seven guys I think that actually have a chance. After that, odds wise, it goes Carson Beck, Drake May, Jalen Milrow, Caleb Williams, Kyle McCord. Like once you get down there, you're probably mm-hmm. uh not not doing anything. So then everyone else after that he has like a hundred to one. Kyle McCord's ninety to one. Yeah, so, he shouldn't even be on the board. I mean he's yeah. But yeah, I think that pretty much college football this weekend. I mean, Oregon, Utah, like that's, you know, an interesting game. Cause I like if Utah wins that one, then you got to start talking about is Utah going to, you know, do something in the PAC 12. But I think the PAC 12 has now become 
can Oregon and Washington get to a rematch without another loss? Because then it's a win and you're in. But if either of them trips up, then the Pac-12 is kind of on on the rocks. To get into the playoffs, you're saying? Yeah, because I'm saying if Oregon has two losses and then they beat Washington, similar to Utah last year, you're done. If Washington has a loss and Oregon has a loss, a one-loss Pac-12 is not a guarantee. Yeah, unless Washington's like a uh, TCU-type team Mm -hmm. where like that could happen, but TCU, I feel like, barely got in. Um, But after seeing Washington and Oregon, I feel pretty good about about the Oregon State Beavers to win the Pac-12 sitting at like I got them 15 to 1, 14 to 1 before the year started. Like they're going to be they're going to have an opportunity to play their way into a, a, a Pac-12 championship game cuz USC's kind of playing their way um out of that race. So they get Oregon and Washington depending on what one of those games if they win one of those games like it it is it's on. It's on mm-hmm. especially if they beat Oregon. If they beat yeah. Oregon, like they so that's last game of the year, Civil War. So we might get a chance where where Oregon State coming into the last week of the year uh, might not need a lot to get, to get to Vegas, which would probably be bad for the conference overall. Um, but it'd be good for me. Oregon State only gets in if they went out, which would be beating Oregon, Washington, and then beating Washington again. Probably, like I think they're definitely going to be one of those two teams. Yeah, I yeah. So their win total was eight and a half. They're sitting at five and one, six and one. So feel pretty good about that if they split those games. Even if not, you just got to take care of the business with everybody else after beating uh, UCLA. Yeah, and I'm still waiting for the – I think we're all waiting for like the chaos weekend. I think every top team – so North Carolina went down, but I don't think anyone considered them really much of a threat. Like I think what would have happened is if North Carolina won out and beat Florida State as like – 12 point underdogs and they made the playoff. It brought, it would have been one of those like, Holy shit, North Carolina's in. We never really saw this coming, but I think we've all been waiting for like one of these, you know, whether it be Oregon, Washington, Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state. No one, no one's really been the big tens kind of been like, that's a round Robin. We'll figure it out. Georgia with the Auburn game. Alabama, you know, all these teams that are like still in the mix. I feel like Tennessee's up two scores against Bama at half. We're like, okay, Bama's dead. Same thing when they were down against Texas A&M, they come back. Oklahoma, UCF, it's like UCF gets the two-point conversion. Maybe they win that in overtime. Nope, Oklahoma survives. Texas survives Houston after surviving Wyoming. Oregon survived Texas Tech. Washington survived Arizona, and they survive Arizona State. Like, I feel like we're so close to just that one week or Florida state survives Clemson in overtime. They survive BC. We're so close to that weekend where it's like, Holy shit, Oregon and Florida state just lost like games. Yeah. They shouldn't have, Yeah, but we keep missing it and it's coming. Like I think, cause everyone keeps saying like, well, Florida state wins out there in, and then Washington's going to be in, and then it's going to be the big 10 in Georgia. Texas, it's like, Oklahoma. It's, yeah. Like, it's never yeah. that easy. Never. Yeah. Yeah, so we're gonna be into November basically before we uh before we get to that weekend. So things are heating up. And I looked, all those Pac-12 teams play each other. USC plays Oregon and Washington. Um, They're Oregon gonna State win. I think plays... I think USC beats Washington because I, I think they're I just think gonna outscore them. At, or, Oregon has to go to Utah this weekend. Utah, I think, plays Washington. So it's like all these teams. Yeah, Washington play Washington plays Utah on November 11th. I don't think Washington's like getting out of there undefeated. I don't think Oregon, I don't think any of those teams are going to run the table. So it's going to be a bunch of two lost teams. I bet with um, coming down to some tiebreakers. So, and I think Kansas state can get both Texas and Oklahoma, but definitely at least one of them. Yeah. So Florida state, I don't know where they necessarily trip up. Yeah. But, uh, Let's see, Florida State the rest of the way. They have, I mean, Duke was a little bit of a test. Best team left on their schedule. They have Wake Miami, Forest, Florida. Pitt, they have Miami, Miami Florida in the ACC championship. Yeah. yeah. So. so I think Florida State, the way I see the playoffs right now. I think they're in. Yeah. I don't know who beats them in the ACC championship because it's going to be Louisville, UNC 
in that second place spot. And I, I don't know. I really don't know uh, who, who wins that one. My my who thought is you. I think Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Two of those teams get in. Whether it's Penn State beats Michigan, then they get in the conversation. Right now, I think I, Ohio State and Michigan both get in. If Michigan beats Ohio State, I think Michigan with one loss with no good wins and this scandal, maybe they don't get in. Yeah, but I think there's a chance those two 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 Big Tens can get in. The SEC champ in Florida State, and I think getting that number one seed is going to be so huge because I think Florida State is kind of fake good. Like I think they have like like Keon Coleman's awesome. Johnny Wilson's pretty good. Jared Verse is good. The quarterback's not bad. Like the running, like they have like a lot of these like flashy kind of good players. But like I think they'll get worked by any of those three teams. And then the other game, it's going to be the classic when it was Bama, Clemson, Ohio State. Like year after year, two Clemson, Ohio State play a classic game. Bama works someone, and then Bama or LSU, like when they filled the Bama spot one year, like then they beat you because you just played two national championship games. So that's why I think if Ohio state can beat Michigan, I think they're winning the national championship. The biggest, yeah, the biggest conversation, like looking at the schedules, look at who we think is going to trip up. It's probably going to be, I think Michigan's better than Penn state and Ohio state after watching that play, obviously mm-hmm. yep, a agreed. lot has to go down with what's happened. What would be interesting, which I think Ohio, like if it's, I think it's going to be Georgia, and I think Georgia, I don't know who's going to beat them. I don't think Alabama has the power to beat them. Florida State, I don't think they're going to get beat. And Michigan, I think, is probably going to run the table. So then that's one spot left. Pac-12, we think, eats themselves out of it. I think it's going to be 12-1 and Big 12 champ Texas and then versus 11-1 Ohio State. And because Texas would win their conference, have a win in Tuscaloosa and avenge their only loss, I think Ohio State could be on the outside looking. Oh yeah, at Texas, that five Texas spot. would deserve that bid. Because it's yeah. if it's Ohio State, your your response or is Oklahoma, beat like if Oklahoma and Texas both run the table, which is just really getting over the Kansas State hurdle and the, everybody else, that's the bad situation for um for Ohio State because then that's just a de facto playoff game. 13, 12 and one Texas gets in 13 and 0 Oklahoma would get in. So as an Ohio state fan and you, you, and as I guess Penn state, who's still technically in it, although I don't believe in them as much anymore. I -hmm. think you, the big 10 rooting guide is rooting against for the big 12 to play themselves out of it. Yeah. And I think there's a good chance that happens, but we'll see it all. Yeah. You just swap Florida state for TCU. Yep. This is from last year. So we'll see all that shape out. First rankings come out Tuesday. Um, so next week we'll either record during or after those. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll probably know what's going on. Um, in terms of the NFL, huge win by the Eagles, bounce back, beat the Dolphins. I think I mean both you and I took the Eagles. I think we both expected that to happen. They're just better. The Dolphins give me major um like big 12 team vibes where it's like, yeah, they can, they beat the shit out of all these bad teams. They get onto the big stage and it's like, it's like Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, where it's like you get to the playoff and it's like, Oh shit, we've been playing a different type of football. Uh, Neither quarterback looked that great, but I mean, Hertz made some throws when he had to, uh, which is what the game came down to. Eagles defense looked great. They uh, only gave up 10 points because of the pick six. Mm -hmm. And they've gotten better over the past 48 hours. Kevin Bard from the Titans. That's huge. Plug, plug a gap at huge. Who has become the third, he's the third highest paid player on the roster now for the Eagles. Um, but because of Howie Roseman and how he works the, the cap, they are able to do that, which is, it's all about avoiding injuries in the NFL. And we haven't been able to avoid a lot of injuries in the secondary they signed Terrell Edmonds before the year started to play safety and they saw an opportunity to upgrade him for some late round picks and they took it. So I love that they're being proactive as we get closer to the deadline. I think the deadline is also going to be next Tuesday. I so, think the deadline might start getting more exciting in the NFL. That's a yeah, hot take I have. 
and with a guy like him, I saw other people talking about him online uh, with Bard. It's like a lot of these teams who are, were not great. A safety isn't necessarily going to move the needle. Um, and mm-hmm. he's expensive and he's not young. Um, and then all these good teams that are clicking, it's like, why are we going to go and add this bigger name, this bigger personality to a locker room that's expensive when we might be a little strapped for cash and don't want to necessarily mortgage the future like when we're playing well. Someone like the Chiefs or the Cowboys. Like the Cowboys, even though Diggs is out, it's like they've been playing pretty well. 49ers, like their roster is expensive. So it kind of makes sense, like a fit for the Eagles. So I'm excited to see him play. He's was He's been good. He was an all-pro two years ago. Um, so it's good to see them, the Eagles, starting to hit their stride a little bit and, and playing well. And uh, they're in a really good spot because Monday night, the 49ers go down to the Vikings. And I think we saw who Brock Purdy may be if everything is not perfect. Um, so I'm glad I have a hot take on, the on this. He finally, finally gets his first loss where he starts and finishes a game because people don't. For well, he lost to the like Browns to... the week before. That's two oh, in a row. Shit. You're right. Yeah. What you get? Give, give me your take because I'm all in for the 49er. 49er I think so. Brock Purdy's out next week with a concussion. They showed the play where he hit his head. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Sam Darnold takes this job and he never gives it back. Oh. Because I think Sam Darnold, I watched a lot of Sam Darnold Jets. <laughs> yeah, more yeah. than I'd like to admit. Thank God I was in college for that time because, you know, it takes a lot of liquid courage to watch Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has more talent in his left hand than Brock Purdy does in every ounce of his body. If Sam Darnold's biggest issue was his offensive line was you, me, and three tomato cans most of his career with the Jets. His wide receivers were Robbie Chosen Anderson, who um, I think he had one mediocre season since leaving the Jets. Uh, Essentially, he had no one. And he had all this talent, and the Jets kind of ruined him. Then he goes to Carolina, and Carolina is just as bad. We're seeing it right now. People thought he was terrible. He wasn't the greatest decision maker. That doesn't matter in Kyle Shane. He tells you what to do. I think he is not going to let go of this job, and I think – we're going to see with Sam Darnold and everyone's going to be like, holy fucking shit. This guy's like, everyone's going to say, Hey, anyone can do this with Shanahan because after seeing Purdy and then people are going to be like, Oh my God, why did we give up on Darnold? Cause the, the 49ers offered the 12th pick in the draft. The year that they traded up for Trey Lance before trading up for Trey Lance, they offered the 12th pick in the draft for Sam Darnold very early in the process. This is all jets rumors. So take it with a grain of salt, but offered the 12th pick for Sam Darnold when the Jets waited, wanted to evaluate Zach offer was off the table because they went up to go get Trey Lance Jets trade him to Carolina for a second. Cause that was the only team that would give them a first. This guy clearly likes Darnold. He brought him in for a reason. I think his whole plan this entire time was to start Darnold, but after Purdy got a little better, whatever, whatever starts him. I really think that this is the, that might be Brock Purdy's last start for a while. So, I don't hate that at all. I pulled up the 49ers schedule. Before the year, I had one of my future bets. If you go back under 10.5 wins, you start 5-0, and you think that's probably – feels like a loser. They got to go – is it 10 – it's under 10.5, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know my board. Under 10.5. So, they're 5-2. and two. So, they got to go – for me to win, they got to go 5-7. Five and seven. Their next six games are the Bengals, who are starting to put it together – at Jacksonville, the Bucks who are probably not as good. Like they can yeah, probably they're probably, the they're probably a paper tiger. Yeah. Then they got the Seahawks, the Eagles, and the Seahawks again. So if you get out of that, like Bengals, Jags, two divisional games against a Seahawks team who I think is good, and in Philadelphia, if you come out of that three and three, which I don't think is crazy unlikely, they're sitting at eight and five heading into the last couple of weeks of the season, and maybe they're not as great as they thought we were. Um, th- their schedule gets a little bit easier at the end. They get the Commanders, Cardinals, Rams, uh, and Ravens. But this next stretch, if there's a little bit of quarterback controversy, it's going to be very telling 
to see what the 49ers are going to look like. And we might be sitting here in mid-January saying this incredible roster, oh, they're, they're a quarterback away, they're a quarterback away. They swung and missed on, on Trey Lance. They, they had Sam Darnold, but it wasn't enough. So I think it's crazy how quick things change in the NFL, but I think the 49ers not are for not for long. That's what it stands for. Not yep. for long. Not as invincible as we once thought they were. Yeah, and I think this week, no, every team is playing this week. No one's on by. This one's kind of a big. We got a lot of teams. Nobody's three on three. Nobody's on by. Six teams last week. Six teams next week. I don't. I don't make the rules. But um, I think this week's going to be a big measuring stick. Obviously, we talked a lot of college football this episode. The Michigan scandal, the Penn State Ohio State game, the Phillies. We'll talk a lot more NFL next week. We got Jets Giants, the Snoopy Bowl. That's a huge game. Do the Giants kind of get back into it? Do the Jets prove that they're going to keep on this winning streak? Eagles play the Eagles. Cowboys? Big stretch is coming up. They have the Commanders this Sunday, and then okay, that, that's right. Who always play them goes, tough? They always play them tough. They went to overtime earlier this year. This one's in Washington, and then Eagles only one loss team in the NFC right now. Maybe are the Lions have one loss. No, there are two. They lost two. to the so yeah, Eagles, Seahawks and yeah. the Ravens. The Eagles and the Chiefs are the only one-loss teams left in the league. Um, Shocker. <laughs> yeah, right? So, and then the Eagles hopefully take care of business against the Commanders, and then we get their big stretch going. Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks. So those six games are going to be telling. If they come out of there five and one, four and two, they're probably still going to be in the driver's seat for the NFC, and if you can get the NFC to run through Philadelphia again, I feel very confident about their chances of getting back to the Super Bowl. So it's funny how things switch, um, but I'm fully into Eagles mode now. I'm sure we'll have an episode in a couple months where it's just like another uh, heartbreaking season ender. But until then, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the ride with, with the birds and the yep. Kelly greens look sweet, by the way. Oh, unreal. Unreal. They looked great. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, we only got a couple of minutes, so maybe I'll save this for another one. So I'll tease it. Uh, my hot take is almost every single team in the league looks better in their throwbacks, and we should just all go back to them. Yeah, a lot of them are better. I don't know if we necessarily, but I, I kind of like the uh, like two to three times a year because if it's all the time, maybe you get maybe it gets a little old. But like the yeah, Bucks, well, the Eagles have good regular jerseys. There's some team like. I guess the Jets are a bad example, but like the Jets jerseys, the regular ones suck. And the how we feel about Indiana, the Indiana Midnight. That's the worst jersey I've ever seen. It looks like it looks like a created team in Madden. Like when you move, like I I moved the Jets to Brooklyn and like Madden ten, and they made me wear all new uniforms, and they just looked like those. Yeah, it's like the automated ones without anything changing. Yep. Well, all right, that was a pretty packed episode. Like I said, more NFL next week. College football is coming. It's starting to take shape, but not a crazy weekend this weekend. Um, knock on wood, though, because I say there's going to be an upset. Who knows? It could be Ohio State. So yeah. tune in next week. We'll be talking about everything. And, Dom, um, catch you at the next water break.